Hi, welcome to Light the Camera Author. I'm Jim Juno, and this is a podcast where we talk about we talk with authors who write books about Hollywood and TV and movies and entertainment in general. And I have with me tonight the author's name is Greg Mitchell, and he has written a book. It came out a little while ago um, about a movie which most likely you haven't seen and maybe even never heard of. Um, for good reason or maybe not, uh, the movie is called The Beginning or the End, and that's the title of the book, The Beginning or the End, How Hollywood and America Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Greg, welcome to tonight's Light Camera Author. Oh, thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Now, the new movie coming out, Oppenheimer. Now, this is not the book that Op that Oppenheimer is based upon, but it has a lot to do with this movie because... A lot of people think Oppenheimer is like the first biopic of this of the scientist who was responsible mainly for led the, led the uh, Manhattan Project, which developed the first atom bomb. Isn't that correct? That's right. Yeah, and uh, of course the Christopher Nolan movie is coming, but uh, this was the first movie drama on the making of the bomb and you know especially maybe younger people uh don't know about the manhattan project and the fact the bomb was actually used against the two japanese cities in august of 1945 and then there was a, a race instead of the race for the bomb now there was a race to create the first hollywood bomb movie <laughs> and uh so uh, actually the first studio to get a jump on uh jump on everything was paramount under hal wallace who uh got going on a film called Top Secret, and he hired Ayn Rand as the screenwriter. Now, a lot of people may know of her, a rather controversial author, Atlas Shrugged and The Fountainhead, but she also wrote screenplays for Hollywood. And Hal Wallace hired her to write uh, a script for this uh, A-bomb movie. Uh, meanwhile, over at MGM, Louis B. Mayer was launching uh, the movie The Beginning or the End, uh, and uh, he called it the be the most important movie he ever made, which is saying quite a lot. Um, and they got work on that. So there was a, a race between two Hollywood studios to make the first A-bomb movie. And then uh, Oppenheimer actually got involved in both of them. Yeah. And this this particular movie, The Beginning or the End, um, came out in 1947. But it actually it actually had its roots in 1945. Uh, right when, right after uh, the United States dropped the first atomic bomb on on uh, Hiroshima. Yeah, well, the, it actually, if it's, since there's a lot of movie fans out there, might be surprised to learn that the real person who launched the MGM movie was the young actress named Donna Reed. That's right. Yeah, from... from uh, not Father's No Best, wrong TV show, the Donna yeah. Reed show. And yeah, um, of course she'd won an Academy Award for From Here to Eternity. And and she was in, uh, of course, the famous Jimmy Stewart Christmas movie. Yeah. Uh, but um, it, it, she her it, she got a letter from her former high school chemistry student, uh, teacher who happened to be part of the Manhattan Project after the bomb was dropped. And he begged her to get something going in Hollywood to make a movie that would warn the world about the dangers of nuclear weapons and, and building more of them and building bigger ones. 
and just sort of begged her to get something going. I don't think he knew that she had recently married a Hollywood agent who met with a producer who then met with Louis B. Mayer and they got this movie going, uh, which was a very a big budget, bu big budget movie for the time. So that was the genesis of the beginning or the end in the fall of 1945. And then this uh, making and unmaking of it occurred during 46, and then it came out early in 47. Now, the movie stars Hume Cronin, and this is I mean, maybe newer people, uh, younger people may know him from the movie Cocoon. But right. um, but the, he was actually a very big actor all the way back to the 1930s. And he was he played uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer in right. the beginning or the end, right. um, which is, I guess he looks like I mean, I saw the movie last night and I guess he looks like him enough. No, uh, not really. Not, not really. really. <laughs> I'm trying plus to give, I'm hey, trying to give him some flack Canadian. a little bit here. Right, he's Canadian. He's kind of short. He's uh, kind of light, light-haired, lightish-haired, and uh, no, he he was not not hired for his uh, for his uh, looks. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and we, we, as we were talking in the pre-interview, I mean, there was one line in there which, at the very beginning, and I I got to tell you, I I burst out laughing when I heard it because. Uh, Hume Cronin as Oppenheimer is in the laboratory. It's near the beginning of the film, and they're in the laboratory with Enrico Fermi and and I forget who the other scientist uh, was, who it was, but they had just split the atom, and it had like the little I, I want to call it an oscilloscope, but I know it's not. It's a it's just a looks like a, a heart monitor um, <laughs> beeping back and forth, and. Um, Enrico Fermi is like, we finally did it. We split the atom and we must tell the president right away. And all of a sudden, Hume Cronin as Oppenheimer goes, well, I'll see you all in a week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, well, he did something that nobody ever did before. But I, hey, I got to go to my, my I got to go my on ranch. my honeymoon. I go to my ranch. I have a wedding to go to. I, know. I mean, I got to, I'm going to get laid. I got to go. I, you know. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, that's, uh, I mean, uh, trying to make a long story short, it's basically they did do it. The first script was it did reflect the scientists' warnings about the bomb, and then uh, they uh, MGM hired uh, the head of the Manhattan Project, General Leslie Groves, played by Matt Damon in the Christopher mm -hmm. Nolan movie, um, to uh, and gave him script approval basically. And of course, Groves went to town and it changed everything and. Uh, big and small. And, my, you know, my book, uh, I, I went to the Motion Picture Academy uh, and, um, I, and I was the first person to ever go through the scripts for this movie and the correspondence and memos and so on and so forth. So the book really follows the uh, the making and unmaking of the movie. Uh, and there's a there are a lot of kind of black humor aspects to it. But basically, Groves was uh, correcting, uh, correcting and revising things, big and small. He, even small, he he didn't like that they accurately pictured him as kind of a chocolate alcoholic. So they wanted to get rid of all references to how much he loved chocolate. A uh, very portly man. Um, so it went down that deep. But in bigger ways, he got rid of criticisms of the use of the bomb or uh, criticisms of uh, building more of them and so forth. And then a little later... 
they uh, they showed the script to uh, the White House, and then Harry Truman got involved, and he didn't like a, a scene where he describes their deciding to drop the bomb and uh, they actually had to do a costly retake of the whole scene. They had to fire the actor and hire a new actor. Um, and again, I've got all that. I have all the script revisions. I have the, the whole saga of that story. So, I mean, I really went into looking at this movie in 1947, which no one had really ever done before or even hardly heard of. Yeah. You did, a deep, you did a real deep dive into it. Yeah. Well, I, I because I, I knew it could symbolize a lot, but what was going on then, because after the use of the atomic bomb, it was up for grabs on what the U.S. would do. Are we going to build more of them? Are we going to accept international controls? Uh, are we going to maybe cooperate with the Russians instead of competing with them? Are we going to build the H-bomb? Um, do, do we really think it was a great idea to destroy these two cities and kill 180,000 civilians? Uh, it was up for grabs. And then John Hersey's famous Hiroshima article in The New Yorker came out in '46. And the feeling was we've got to beat back any concerns about going forward. You know, we're we're going full speed ahead here, and right. uh, and so this movie was part. It wasn't wasn't the the only thing, but there were a number of uh, official responses to these concerns about where we were headed. And after these concerns got uh, beaten back, we then had you know fifty years of a nuclear arms race, and we had this tens of thousands of nuclear weapons in the world. And um, it's, it's really set the nuclear era in motion. So I thought this one movie kind of could, could carry some of that, uh, that whole story. It seemed like they also went out of their way to make, to make the mention that there are peaceful uses for, for nuclear power also yeah. almost, yeah. almost breaking up the plot. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, they, every time, People would raise concerns about uh, uh, the destructive power of the bomb. That would be well. It can also uh, heat our coffee in the morning, or you know, <laughs> dry or fuel our automobiles, or whatever. Um, so it, it was important to uh, you know to add that dimension. And in fact, you know, um, after this movie with the, that I write about in '47, there's only been until the Christopher Nolan movie only two other movies you know, Hollywood movies that have tackled the subject. And, uh, you know, there's a reason for it, I think, is that it's this is kind of a raw nerve. I, I call it America's raw nerve. It's sensitive to what happened in 1945. And uh, and so you, to revisit that, it, it's completely different than you think about the, how many World War II movies there have been, there are D-Day movies. I mean, there have been more movies just about D-Day or, or oh, the yeah. battle bulge than the entire, you know, building of the bomb and using the bomb and what happened afterwards. And, uh, you know, of course, the reason is, is that World War II and the, especially the, the last months of World War II in Europe, it, you know, it's a stirring story. The U.S. grunts, the G.I. Joes are marching on the victory and beating bad guy Hitler and uh, storming the cities and storming the bunkers and, um you know, it's a landing on the beaches at D-Day um, and then liberating concentration camps. Uh, the bombing of Hiroshima is a completely different story. You have a, a weapon created by genius elite scientists. You have uh, officials in Washington 
and military generals making decisions, not troops. You have these uh, elite pilots in the planes, you know, dropping the bomb. Uh, and then, of course, at the other end of it, you've got uh, tens of thousands of civilians dying. Um, not, you know, you're not liberating people. You're not, uh, you know, taking over cities. You're basically destroying cities and killing, yes. uh, you know, children, women and babies. So uh, it's a very sensitive subject that ha that has not been uh, covered much at all and, and not covered well. Uh, and of course, Christopher Nolan now has uh, his his chance, and it's kind of amazing that he's he's even attempting it. And, you know, and, and in your book, you know, you even had Oppenheimer. <clears throat> Oppenheimer himself had immense guilt over the over the dropping of the bomb. I mean, he, he even went to Truman and said, you know, like you said in your book, you know, I, I got blood on my hands. And Truman was like, "You didn't drop the bomb. You didn't make the decision to use it. I did that." You know, so yeah, I mean, he... well, it's a, that's a big scene in the Christopher Nolan movie. Mm -hmm. uh, that scene is there. So it's a couple of things wrong with it, but that's OK. Uh, but uh, that 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 did happen. It's not a cinematic device, but and it's certainly not in the, end, the 1947 beginning or the end. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, I, Oppenheimer was very ambivalent. You know, you can't you can't picture him one way or another. I mean, it's it, in some ways, it's why he justifies a three-hour movie because he's a complex character, an interesting character, uh, a wild up and down uh, life, uh, and, uh, you know, a little bit uh, ambivalent about making the bomb and then helping to use the bomb and how he felt afterwards. And uh, But it's wrong for people to picture him as well. He had great regrets and... I mean, we've we've most of us have seen photos of him or film clips later in his life where he looks like a skeleton. He looks like he's haunted. Yeah. It's like, boy, this guy feels the weight of 180,000 deaths on his shoulder every day. And I, it's just not true because he over those years, he lived 20 years or more after Hiroshima. And you can pluck out any one of 20 quotes and say, well, this is how he really felt. Well, well no, wait a minute. He also said this or. Uh, well, he said that. I said, well, no, but then in the end of his life, he said uh, he didn't regret it at all. So um, it makes the movie fascinating. I think the movie leans a little too heavily on that he was totally tortured and totally regretted it. But uh, he, he certainly had some of that, and it uh, it makes him an interesting figure for sure. Well, you, nowadays, well, now you're seeing replayed that one scene. Where it was an interview, I guess, in 1965 or something like that, where he's like staring straight at the camera saying, I, I have become death and the destroyer yeah. of worlds. I mean, that's that it, you see that nightly, it seems right now. Well, but he, you know, that was partly, you know, again, it's it's his iconic kind of image making where he wanted to have it both ways. He wanted to show that he knew what he, what he had created. Uh, and, and most of his statements were broad, you know, were not about dropping the bomb. They were not about killing civilians. It was more, well, okay, we were, were told to make this weapon and we made it as an incredible scientific achievement. I take great pride in my work and the people who actually invented it. Um, and people take, uh, but, but then he, you know, he did try to work afterwards for arms control and, um, kind of help, uh, keep the, 
weapons under in check, perhaps. Uh, but some people kind of mis misinterpret some of his more dramatic statements and film footage and so forth that he yeah. was oh boy this guy was just racked with guilt for decades and he just couldn't uh, couldn't get over it and he thought about these burned bodies and everything every night and uh, you know it's just not true he was too ambivalent uh, all, all those years which is not to say he didn't feel any of that uh, but he was really haunted and as as the Christopher Nolan movie makes clear he was more haunted by what happened to him in the 50s and the red scare and he his famous security hearings where witch hunt led to him losing his security clearance yeah. and kind of branded a communist sympathizer. And I mean, that's what really brought him down. And uh, so, uh, I mean, that's, that's certainly a major, a major focus of the Christopher Nolan movie. I see. And, and the beginning of the beginning or the end almost said beginning of the end, the beginning or the end. Oh, they both work. Yeah. They yeah. Both. <laughs> this is not, no, I want to ask you, this is not a well-known movie. Right. Um, you know, I mean, it, and I was looking at, looking at the, uh, on its internet media uh, movie database page. I had trouble finding it on that. Um, yeah. But, you know, apparently it was made for, with $2 million, which was a lot of money back then. Yeah. Yeah, and it lost 1.5 million, mm -hmm. which nearly. I mean, I would think that would almost break MGM. Um, well, okay. How, how did you find out about this movie? You know, it was very. The uh, I hate to date myself, but it really goes back to uh, the early 1990s. I, I was writing a book or starting to write a book with Robert J. Lifton. Uh, what the well-known figure called Hiroshima in America, and it's and it's the book is out there. You can get it on Amazon. It's I think it's a classic of uh, what happened in America after sort of starts on the day the bomb was dropped, and then looks at pretty much the first five years and fifty years of American reactions. And I I was out at the Truman Library. In Missouri, and uh, you know, I'd heard about this movie, but I hadn't read hardly anything about it. So I started asking, "Well, do you have any files? You know, that the Truman's office kept? Maybe they've had something on this movie. I know they he appears in the movie as a with an actor, and um, so sure enough, they bring out these files, which I don't think anyone had ever asked for before, and they're filled of with correspondence and film scripts, and you know, Truman's order of retakes and three different versions of." Uh, what MGM came back with and so forth. So uh, that really got me going. And so I'm, really my interest in this goes back that far and then, you know, led to a, you know, led to a major book only a couple of years ago. So, um, you know, it's something that I'm, I guess I'm probably the world's leading expert on. <laughs> so, uh, not that maybe anyone cares much, but um, it's, uh, I don't know. I, I, as I said, I think if you get the book, you'll get a good picture of the entire nuclear era because this film and what happened afterwards um, and, and Oppenheimer's involvement, you know, I mean, his involvement in the movie, just in a nutshell was, you know, they, they wanted him to be an advisor and they wanted to picture him in the movie because uh, it was a drama. They had to get his release. They 
hired Hume Cronin, Cronin to play him. And it looked for a while like Oppenheimer was not going to go along with that. They even changed his name to Whittier in the script, which was wow. <laughs> the most waspy, waspy un-Jewish <laughs> name you could come up with. But, um, and then they had a big meeting with him. He saw the script. He knew he said it was awful. Um, <laughs> and he nevertheless signed the release, not and for no money at all signed the release and so he was pictured in it and it was another i think classic oppenheimer uh move where he kind of said the right things or acted principled but ultimately caved and uh you know lent his prestige to the movie uh unfortunately and mgm showed this movie before it was released they showed it to the scientists who uh, in your book were less let's just say less than thrilled with it yeah, a couple of them said they, you know, they they fled before they could be recognized. <laughs> went out and went out and hid in a car, and uh, <laughs> you know, one one said, and I, I'm forgetting the quote now, but it was along the lines of, uh, you know, if our if our sin was to make the bomb, our penalty was to have to watch this movie. Uh, <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, it was, uh, but you know, it was a major. I mean, a lot of people saw it. It it, it was not the biggest bomb of all time. It uh, oh. it had uh, it got a decent audience. Uh, it just was not anywhere uh, anywhere near a hit. Let's put it that way, and disappeared quickly. So it was a disappointment. But I think MGM had pretty much given up. I think they recognized that all the edits that were ordered um, really made a the script kind of ridiculous in ways. I mean, I, I if people want to watch it, I recommend it. <laughs> recommend it. Uh, you can find it. It's, it's it actually was shown regularly on TCM. Uh, it's certainly on DVD. I have a DVD copy of it if, if, if people know what DVDs are anymore. Yeah. And uh, um, so it's out there, but, uh, you know, you'll get a good chuckle out of it at least. It seems to me also that, you know, this was a pro-atomic bomb movie i mean and that's something you will not see nowadays no matter what no matter what happens and i always thought like the first movies about the atomic bomb and nuclear bombs were like in the early 60s with with failsafe and um now on a comical level you know you had the you had the uh, godzilla movies who supposedly godzilla was spawned by the by the atomic explosions but um Failsafe. I mean, you know, with with um, Henry Fonda and and um, uh, played Jr. Uh, Larry Hagman. You know, um, well, don't forget Doctor Strangelove in the same. Uh, oh, that's my next one. Yeah, Doctor Strangelove with Peter Sellers. How I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb. Um, I heard of that. Yeah, I mean, that was. <laughs> it seemed like you know, when did it? When did the the situation turn from having uh, pro atomic bomb feelings to anti bomb feelings? Well, and, and you have to talk about Hollywood, I guess, versus America in a way, because the uh, from the start and even to the present day, the media and uh, the public, at least in polls, still embrace or at least support the use of the bomb in 1945 the media re- just repeatedly will when, when they have a chance to say something or, or present all the evidence or uh, present a fair view they will retreat to this the same old narrative about the way we had to drop the bomb and there were no alternatives and it's the only thing that ended the war and et cetera et cetera 
in terms of Hollywood, I mean, you have to separate, again, this raw nerve where they don't really want to uh, show or uh, probe what we did in 1945, kind of let that let that go, let that slide, but very happy to focus on nuclear dangers and uh, the end of the world and so forth. So the 1950s, you saw numerous movies uh, reflecting the public concerns about the well, the U.S. is going to get hit now. Yeah, you know where we're going to get, or the whole world's going to get destroyed. So be, besides the monster movies you mentioned, of which there are dozens, if not hundreds, um, you had On the Beach, which was a classic movie in the 50s uh, about the end of the world, basically, but a classy <laughs> Hollywood movie. Um, and then you go into the early 60s with Failsafe and Doctor Strangelove, and and onward from there. So it's not that Hollywood has stayed away from nuclear-themed movies or nuclear apocalypse movies. It's just they have not approached this atomic bomb and 1947 angle uh, much at all. Yeah, and that's and that's really amazing because I mean, I, growing up in the '80s, it seemed like it was every movie of the week was every other week was the end of the world, atomic atomic. Uh, nuclear attack yeah well the biggest at, at that time and i i was the editor of a magazine called nuclear times when the day after yes. was about to come out on abc in two nights i believe we did the first cover story on it because it was sort of right in our ballpark there and uh when it was shown on abc it was so controversial it was at that time the biggest i don't i'm not sure it was the biggest program ever on tv it was certainly the biggest movie special or any kind of special in the history of television. And uh, it was very much about how the U.S. would suffer under a nuclear attack. So it basically had Hiroshima-type imagery, you might say, transported to Kansas. Uh, and, um, and there was one called Threads, which came out in the U.K. Threads, yeah. I remember that at the time. There, there was a whole – I mean, you get more movies at the time – when there's really an anti-nuclear movement uh, growing, which there was in the early eighties. So you had, I mean, you had that game uh, movie war game with uh, Matthew Broderick, a uh, young mm -hmm. Matthew Broderick. Uh, another example. A special uh, bulletin, which was uh, um, about a, a nuclear terrorist. Yeah. So that, you know, then, then it fades. So, uh, you know, the, it, it became after the 1980s, a lot of Hollywood movies had, Kind of themes or imagery, but they were more, uh, you know, overall kind of, well, I mean, uh, how do you want to show, you know, global threats and everything, be, you know, before COVID, you know, <laughs> uh, well, it'd be some form of nuclear or something, you know, so you just introduce some kind of nuclear mutant or something. It was an easy way to, okay, we say radiation. Okay. You know what we're talking about. Exactly. So it was a way to way to juice up these movies but in terms of really tackling the threat of nuclear war uh it really uh it really has not gotten much attention well the author's name is greg mitchell and the book is the beginning or the end how hollywood and america learned to stop worrying and love the bomb greg i thank you for being on life camera author tonight thank you and i appreciate you actually took the trouble to watch the beginning or the end which it's practically <laughs> first for interviews with me. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs>